us to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Last week we started this new series of messages that we're calling James, the brother of Jesus, where for just a couple of weeks we're going to journey through this like really incredibly practical book that some theologians, this is people who like read the Bible for a living, these theologians call the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And Proverbs, of course, is called the book of wisdom. And so they would look at this as the book of wisdom of the New Testament because it is packed with these beautiful principles. They're going to help you walk your Jesus journey in a very real and a very relevant every day kind of way. So last week I talked out of James chapter 1 about trials and temptations. And if you missed that, then do yourself a favor. You can go on our website or on our app and you can get caught up. I think that you're going to find it both challenging as well as helpful. And so today I want to continue in chapter 1 with a message that we're calling listening and doing. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. God, thank you for my friends who are in this place. Thank you for their lives. Thank you uh, for the change that is happening in them. Thank you for depression that is being broken. Thank you for marriages that are being restored. Thank you for divorce rates that are dropping. Thank you for alcohol rates that are dropping. God, thank you for all of the things that not only you're seeing in our city, but all the things that you're doing. God, we're going to give you praise and we're going to give you glory for it because only you are able and only you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 through 27, and you could literally just do an entire series just on this little portion of Scripture. And so let me encourage you, this week, when you leave here, take some time to really kind of read through this. Don't let this be the only time that you get Scripture into you. Go home, take some time, kind of really pour over these little passages and, and kind of study what it is that God has to say to you specifically. But before you do that, let's go. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you've got an anger problem, there's your solution right there. James just gives it. He says, if you're becoming angry too quickly, slow your roll. Like quiet your lips for just a minute. I got a good friend named Josh. He's a music pastor in the DC area. He has this greatest quote about not talking. I love it. He says, hey, make your lips hug. And so I said, maybe you just need to make your lips hug just a minute. Maybe you should be quick to listen. Don't be one of those people, you know, I'm talking about lip quivers. Y'all know who lip quivers are? People that when you're talking, their lip is moving because it's, it's, it, there's like words resonating in their lips that are blocking their ears. Don't be that. It says because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror and doesn't see their face. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but instead doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word. So I want to go back for just a few minutes and I want to look at verse 22 
through 25. Look how verse 22 reads in a different version of scripture. It's called the English Standard Version. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The New International Version that we've been doing this whole series really on says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't deceive yourselves. Do what it's talking about. Be real, in other words. If you fake it, you will not make it. Nobody likes a false. And there's a difference between being fake and being deceived. Being deceived is, is worse than being faked. Deception is deadly. And a lot of people live in the fake even in the church. There are a lot of people in the church, and you've met them, who are faking their faith. It's a, it's a facade. It's a fabrication. I, I spent four and a half years just traveling to different churches and speaking in those churches. And when I was in those churches, I, I saw a ton of people where they, were, they, they just looked the part. They had the right clothes. They said the right words. They looked right on the outside, but they were totally empty on the inside. And Jesus talked about these kind of people in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, which by the way, the word hypocrite just means actor in a play. And so when somebody says that you're being hypocritical, they mean you're just playing a role, but that's not the real you. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. The danger is living in this state, living in this zone for an extended period of time, it leads to deception where you start believing what you're portraying. You become like Matthew Perry, who nobody knows you by Matthew Perry. Everybody just goes, oh, that's Chandler, deception. It's where you're in trouble, but you no longer know it. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy. It says, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, watch this, and things taught by demons. The problem with being deceived is that you don't know you're being deceived. Look back at James. It says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror and doesn't see their face. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but instead doing it, they will be blessed. That means hooked up in everything that they do. The key to life, the key to an effective, productive Jesus journey, the, the key to this book is you don't just receive it, but you also give it away. This book is reciprocal. You're supposed to get it and give it. Get it and give it. Get it and then give it away. Whatever God is giving you in your time with him, you, it is your responsibility to be giving it away in your times with other people because we have to be hearers and doers. The mistake a lot of people make is that they look at this book like it's supplemental, something that you add to your life rather than something that you add your life to. But this is not Oprah. This is not Dr. Oz. This is not uh, self-help. This is self-denial. It is not supplemental, it's sacrificial. The words in this book are not suggestions. If you view the things God prompts you to do as suggestions or, or if you view them as personal preferences, you're never gonna become all that God 
has called you to be. Like if you sit in this place and you feel like God is telling you to stop drinking or stop having sex with your boyfriend, if you feel like God's telling you to stop living with your girlfriend and get married or to break up and you don't do it, you've become the definition of the gospel of Matthew 13 that says in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that you will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Closed their eyes. And that echoes what James says in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and doesn't remember what he sees. And and you look in the mirror, and, and, and you don't see It's like uh, the anorexic girl. The anorexic girl who who looks in the mirror and she can't see how thin she is. Or or it's like the guy who comes in the mirror and flexes his arm and says, baby, my arm's getting bigger. Even though he hasn't worked out since high school, he's still, baby. You look in the mirror, but, but you don't see. So with that in mind, I want to just kind of break down actually a parable, which is a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And for those of you who are stuck, stuck in whatever, this little parable, this little story, this is for you. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, oh, I just bought a field. I must go and and I must see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, oh, I just got married. So, so, so I can't come. And all the men said, amen. The servant, he came back and he reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir. The servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes. One version says the highways and the byways and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. And out of this parable, I want to actually show you something that we should see out of James, but seldom do. So I want to give you four steps to becoming a doer rather than just a hearer. Here's the first. Be ready now. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he, this master, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. God is ready now. Now, I I tend to be strong-willed. Maybe maybe you're not. Maybe you're all very compliant. I was always a strong-willed child. Dr. Dobson wrote a book about me. He didn't know it, but he did. I have always tended to be very strong-willed. I tend to live by what I would call a Burger King theology. I want it my way right away. (laughs) When I hear the Bible say things like, those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. I hear that and I go, "Mm." is there an alternative to that? Like, is there a, those that hurry with the Lord, he'll renew something else? Like, it's like this waiting thing is bogus. Like, I don't, like, I, I, I want, I want what I want. I want it my way. I want it right way. I tend to think that my plan is always better. I mean, I mean, here's my philosophy. 
God, like he's God. And so he, he's got a lot going on. Like God's iPhone is always going off. I'm just saying, there's always like a ding. There's always like a reminder going off on God's phone. Like I, I, God has a lot to think about. Don't you agree with that? Me though, I have the benefit of only having to think about myself. But, but God isn't interested in your plan. He's interested in your preparation. And he's ready right now. Now is the time. The safest place that you will ever live is in the plan of God, the presence of God. And some of you have been so damaged by religion or so damaged by a church that you not only find it hard to believe that God would want to be in your presence, you find it hard to believe that anyone would want to be in God's presence. Because from your perspective, God is in the least aloof, but at the worst, God is very mean and God is very spiteful. But this parable, it paints a different picture. In our culture, where eating has become like so flippant, where eating has become so easy, we read a story about a meal, we read a story about a banquet like this, and, and it's easy for us to miss or it's easy for us to disregard the significance. But in that culture, it was such an incredible honor to be invited to a dinner. Such an incredible honor to be invited to a banquet. But, but when you were invited to a dinner back then, you were invited and you were given a window of time within which to be ready, like, like within the next month or so. And, and so the master would send out his people and he would give you a notice and, and you would get the invitation. It would be like, okay, listen, sometime between November 1st and November 30th, we're gonna have a dinner and, and I'll be back to let you know the exact time. And the reason that they did that is because they couldn't predict the weather. And, and since they couldn't predict the weather, they couldn't predict an exact time that the vegetables would be ready to be picked or when the grain would be ready to be harvested or when the calf would be fully fattened. And so a servant would be sent out to extend an invitation and that, in, in, that invitation, it included a window within which you needed to be ready. And once the vegetables had been picked and once the grain had been harvested, once the calf was about ready to be fattened, that servant would then be sent out again to let you know that things were ready as if it's like to say, like now, now is the time. But still in this parable, some of the people who were invited, they made excuses and their excuses were foolish and they were unfounded and nothing's changed. We're the same way. We're so busy living our own lives that we make these foolish and unfounded excuses as to why we can't spend time with the Lord. Like, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever built a meaningful relationship that matters while throttling through life at a high rate of speed, building in no margins? You have to give God room. You have to build in margins for this book. You have to build in margins for his presence, for his voice. You have to respond to his invitation and show up at the table. Let me say it this way. There are two roads that we can walk. We can either walk, like here's the first, we can walk the way of the world. And, and the world is enticing. It has great marketing. It's it's so easy to get distracted. We start every year, and we'll do the same thing to start 2020. We start every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting where, where we spend a time abstaining from something. And, and the last few years, Pastor Sonny and I and, and our staff, we have abstained from food total. We just did like a liquids 
only fast. Now, some of our staff, they didn't know what that meant, and so they tried to grind up things like spaghetti, and they thought that that would be delicious, that it would be, Dana, that it would be uh, like this beautiful dish of ground up. I don't know what would sound good about liquid spaghetti, but after five days of not eating anything, apparently that seems good. But when you're on a fast, my point being, when you're on a fast, uh, the devil uh, loves, the devil takes all commercials off the TV except for food commercials. That's all I'm saying. And you watch it and the Pizza Hut comes on and the Pizza Hut, I hate Pizza Hut, but about seven days into a fast, I'm like, bro, God, for real, like, could you... Just close Pizza Hut for the next 21 days. Could you just have like something happen nationwide and it just let them have the money, but let them not put the, because that cheese, y'all, have you seen the cheese on a commercial? And it's a, it just stretches out and your spirit just connects with the cheese and the spirit of Wisconsin. You feel like I, they should kick me out the state of Wisconsin if I don't eat cheese for the next 21 days. It's, it's great. They're great marketing. The world has great marketing and it's so easy to get distracted. And we're constantly catching things out of the corner of our eyes. Why the book of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the world looks so good. But this parable suggests if you go the way of the world, you'll love it for a season. But in the end, that road leads to nothing but regret. So you're invited right now to walk a different road and it is the way of the word. And you can take this road, regardless of your sin, regardless of your shame, regardless of your secrets. You know, I've never seen anyone get to the end of their life and regret serving Jesus. I've never sat by someone's deathbed and had them say, bro, I just, I just wish I would have lied more. It just... You know, I've wasted my life telling the truth. I, I wish I would have cheated more. I wish I would have cut more corners. I, you know, I really wish I would have partied more. I wish I had a worse reputation than I, I wish that there was a trail on social media that my grandkids could see me going. <laughs> you know, nobody ever said I wish I would have sinned more. Because serving God when you do it is as good as it gets. And believe it or not, God wants you right now. Be ready now. Here's the second step to becoming a doer. Listen and obey, here's the key, without excuse. Luke 14, 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. We make a lot of excuses, don't we? And I get it. I understand that you're under a lot of pressure. You have jobs and budgets, deadlines and assignments, essays and groceries, soccer practice, laundry to do, getting dinner on the table, putting your kids to bed so that you could have 10 minutes to talk to your spouse or watch a show. I get it. You have a lot of pressure. And you know, our excuses come out of our pressure. But the pressure of not knowing who you are in Jesus, that's the deepest pressure you'll ever feel. You know, when James says you're like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets what they look like, it reminds me of a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this little nugget that talks about husbands and wives. And what's interesting is that it never tells a woman to love her husband. It actually tells a woman to respect him because if you ask a man what love is, he'll give you the definition of respect. See, a man can be a successful person, but if his wife doesn't respect him, it'll rob him of his confidence. It will rob him of his self-worth. 
interestingly though, in the same little nugget, men are told to love their wives like they love themselves. <laughs> That's dope. Because <laughs> doesn't tell a woman to love a man like she loves herself. Because a woman can look at a mirror and be so fine. She can be so beautiful, but find the one thing that's wrong with her. She can be like, oh, oh is that a gray hair? Is that, oh my gosh, is that a wrinkle behind my ear? I better get some injections. Something like that, but a man, y'all. <laughs> hey, listen, Jack. <laughs> a man can be toe up. <laughs> a man can be overweight, balding, wrinkled, have hair on his back and be like, how are you doing, huh? <laughs> hey, baby, are my arms getting bigger? <laughs> the, the, the Bible says, remember who you are. Most of those things come out of insecurity that we don't like to say that we have. But scripture says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let your insecurities cause you to make excuses. Don't let your small view of yourself minimize your view of God. I mean, the Bible is filled with people who could have been limited by their excuses. David was an adulterer, but he's called a man after God's own heart. Moses was a murderer, but he carried the commandments of God. Isaiah preached naked for three years, which is just nasty, but he's used as a prophet of God who prophesied the coming of Jesus. Lazarus, talk about a good excuse. That joker was dead for three days. And while he's dead, God still used him. Here's what you have to know. When you decline the invitation with excuses, it's degrading and it is hurtful to God. Our lives have to echo the words of Isaiah who said, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Listen and obey without excuses. Here's the third step to becoming a doer. Remember how desperate you were. Like before Jesus, remember how jacked up you were? Like when I came to Jesus, I was a, a total wreck. And there's this fascinating story in the Gospel of John where Jesus has just fed 5,000. He's just walked on the water and the people look around and they realize that Jesus and his disciples, they're gone. And so they go and they find them and Jesus proceeds to spell out for these people the cost of being a disciple. Remember homeboy who just walked on water. And this scripture says something crazy. It says, from this time, when Jesus spelled out the cost, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. And I think Jesus was like, what? And he looks at his homies, the 12. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I love what Peter said, where else can we go? He was saying, before you, we were nothing. Before you, we were no one. And y'all, that's us. None of us deserve Jesus. We're all damaged. We're all broken. We're all guilty. But gratefully, the 34th Psalm says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Remember how desperate you were and you will be a doer. Here's the fourth step to becoming a doer is don't forget the big picture. This life is temporary. Later in his book, James says this. He says, life is but a mist. It's but a vapor. C.S. Lewis said it like this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christian who did the most for this present world 
were simply those who thought the most about the next. And when Paul the Apostle, the saint who wrote half the New Testament, was writing to his friends, the Philippians, he said, you're getting off track. You need to remember that you're not citizens of this earth. You are, you are citizens of heaven. Life is short. And so because of that, we have a responsibility to fill the table, fill it with our spouses, fill it with our sons and daughters, fill it with our brothers and sisters, fill it with our parents, fill it with our coworkers, fill it with our neighbors. Look back at the story in Luke. It says the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And these kind of people in that culture would never have been invited to a dinner because they're downtrodden, desperate, destitute, dirty. They're the dregs of society. But the master said, it's not about status. It's about souls. And that's the number one thing I love about this church is here at Life Church, people are coming to Jesus and moving forward in the Jesus journey because you have always valued souls. You have never forgotten the big picture and it screams of the quote on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of the teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door and I wonder, are you tired? Are you poor in spirit? Are you yearning to breathe free? Are you spiritually homeless, tempest-tossed? I have good news for you. The master, he has invited you. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs will be the kingdom of God. The master has invited you to your seat at the table. He says, welcome home. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Welcome home the mantra of salvation. See, in churches, we talk about this word salvation and some, sometimes it gets lost in translation. And can I tell you that salvation really is just being rescued? It's just that you don't have the ability to save yourself. You are broken, you are hurting, you are lost, you are poor in spirit. And the Father has invited you to the table and the the concept of salvation is us agreeing to take our seat. And I wonder if you're here today and, and you have been spiritually homeless, you have been tempest-tossed, your heart, your spirit, your soul, it has been here, it has been there. It has been everywhere, but today you have an opportunity to take an invitation and to respond. And so this morning we're gonna give you opportunity to do that. We call it salvation, where you receive the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior. And what that means is when someone is your Lord, they are the person who makes the rules. When they are your Savior, you recognize that they are your rescuer. And so today, if you need a Savior, if you need a Lord, we're going to give you opportunity to do two things. We're going to give you opportunity in just a minute to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by raising your hand and making eye contact with me in just a minute. And then the second is by repeating a prayer after me along with everyone else in this place. We're not gonna center people out or make them walk an aisle or embarrass them, but if you're here today and you say, Sean, I wanna receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior and take my seat at the table with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thank you, thank you, thanks, 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 thanks. Thank you, thanks. Anybody? Thanks, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, 
I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different, make me new. Would you be my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name? Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer and you believed it in your heart, Scripture says you were saved. You started a new relationship with Jesus. It's a journey, a journey away from where you are to where He wants you to be. And so we want to help you in that journey. If you would take that hello card that we talked about earlier, tear off the bottom part, fill it out, check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus and put it in the black buckets in a minute or or you could take it out to the Welcome Center. At the Welcome Center, we do have a little packet for you that we would love for you to have. There's a, a daily devotional in there. It's a three-month devotional that every day has a scripture and it has a, a little inspirational spiritual writing in there. And then also in there is a CD called What Now? And it's a 12-minute presentation that I talk about how to make this journey work for you. And so we would love for you to have that. Just stop and pick that up. I want you to close your eyes. I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, um, I'm a Jesus person. Uh, I've been a hearer, but I haven't been a doer. You've just been a consumer. And so if you're here today and you say, Sean, I've been hearing this, but I haven't been acting on it. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you today? Yes, 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 yes. Jesus, for my many friends who are in this place who have been hearers but not doers, transform our hearts. Help us be active in our pursuit of you. In Jesus' name, amen.